Hey, brewery lovers. Welcome to this week's edition of the DC Beer Show. Uh, it's a big week. There's a lot going on. It's Saver Week this week. So we've got a lot to talk about about Saver uh, and a lot of events to tell you about. I'm going to go ahead and turn it right over to my good friend Mike Stein to give you all the news. Well, not all the news. Some important news. The important news. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, busy week out there in DC beer land. Um, but I want to start things off by saying happy Saver Week. It's, of course, when yes. Saver comes to town. So we're seeing all delicious beers around town that aren't normally in market. Check out the Craft Beer Cellar. Check out Harry's Fine Wine Reserve. Wherever your locals are, we're drinking Long Island City Beer Project's Company Man Yum. Pilsner. Yum. Yum. Which I'm being told is imported by Medidas. Shout out to the independent distributors. We Ooh. talk about independent breweries all the time. But did you know there's independent distributors Ooh. as well? So I want to start off the news by saying tonight is the night. Where to become one. Yes, throwing it back, (laughs) way back to the Spice Girls, to a time when Shmeranoff Ice ruled the landscape. Oh, oh, why do you bring (laughs) that up? Why am I talking about Shmeranoff Ice? Well, I'm talking about it in an ancillary way because the big news last week was that Boston Beer Company, Samuel Adams Boston Lager Maker, said they reached an agreement to merge with Dogfish Head. Initial reports varied between a merger and an acquisition. Wikipedia, news source bastion that it is, now reports Dogfish Head was acquired for $300 million, which also – also the earlier reports in question whether it was about $300 million or approximately $300 million, So we know that's the number being thrown around. So the number two craft brewer in America has acquired the number 13 craft brewer in America. Boston Beer has acquired Dogfish Head. The number two has taken the number 13. And as many people know, Sam Adams is Boston Beer. But many people I talked to this weekend, because this was a hot topic of conversation, didn't know how much cider via Angry Orchard or how much hard tea via Twisted Tea Boston Beer makes. But so what if the second largest craft brewer in America makes more hard tea and cider than beer? Do you care? I I don't. Your yeah, business is business. Your miles may vary. So the Boston Beer Pennsylvania plant makes a ton of Sam Adams, but that plant used to be a Diageo plant. This is why I mentioned Smirnoff, a massive global brewer, winemaker, and distiller that Diageo is. The Allentown plant cranked out tons of Schaefer beer, then Stroh's beer when Stroh's bought in 1981, and the plant was a Stroh's plant until Pabst absorbed it in 1999. It was then owned by Diageo, who began cranking out tons of Schmirnoff ice in 2001. Then Boston Beer bought it in 2008, and that brings us to today. So why am I yammering on about the Allentown area Samuel Adams plant? Yes, Michael. Why are you yammering on? Let me tell you. Because there's so many numbers and percentages to keep straight, I like to think of it on a personal level. I like to think about personal but also personnel as I'm friends with some employees from Boston Beer and from Dogfish. So the last number I will throw at you is 1,543 employees at Boston Beer and 400 for Dogfish Head. Nearly 2,000 people, nearly 2,000 lives that will be affected some way in this merger. How they Mm -hmm. will be affected, we don't know. Right now, the news coming out of both of those sources is that things will stay the same for 2019, and we'll see how things change after that. For me, growing up in New York, so many high school parties had Schmirnoff ice. Blech. I thought it was disgusting. But little did I know it was made two hours away. It's very important to know where your beer or flavored malt beverage is coming from. Similarly, going to college in central Pennsylvania, Schmirnoff was always around. Again, to me, it was disgusting. But the packaging line operator in Upper Mukunji, better known then as the Allentown Diageo plant, 
all that Shmirnoff ice coming down all those bottling lines meant job security. He could put his three kids through college as a plant manager managing bottling line operators. So let's just say in theory, this manager had a daughter who put herself through grad school. And she worked her way up the chain in pharmaceutical engineering, manufacturing, life-saving drugs. And she eventually did a foolish thing by taking a brewery job. She took a job with Dogfish Head. She worked her ass off and worked her way up and saw a tiny batch brewed at the Dogfish Head Brew Pub scaled up commercially. And let's just say she may now see her beer made in the same plant dad oversaw the packaging of Schaefer, Stroh's beer, and then Smirnoff. I don't think anyone could argue that was a bad thing. So that's, that's my, quite a hy- <laughs> hypothetical there. That's quite a hypothetical. <laughs> but I see where you're coming Bear from. Bear with me. You see where I'm coming. I see is where that, you're coming from. You know, there are good and bad things, and it's up to us to determine what's good and what's bad, be it in our glass in front of us or be it, you know, mergers and acquisition news. The last bit I want to say hot off the DC Beer Press is it's the last saver. Is it? Ever. Is it? Maybe, How do you know that, Michael Stein? Maybe. Trustworthy news source Jacob Berg has many inside moles at the Brewers Association, and and he actually has a great article up. Go to dcbeer.com right now. Check out his article, the previous reporting on Saver maybe closing. Mm-hmm. Now maybe this is the last Saver ever, and it's really um, – instrumental in the D.C. brewing scene because for so long this was the biggest draw in town. This was it, the event. And Jake puts it into context as we're now seeing other, you know, large craft beer institutions in D.C. begin to either go out of business or change their model or shape things more towards the future of beer in D.C. All right. But it is really interesting that that Savor appears to be changing significantly, if not ending altogether. Um, so yeah, go to dcbeer.com and read that story to get the updates. But let's let's focus on Savor yeah, for a minute. Let's, let's talk it. about it, right? So uh, now's the time in the show where we talk about upcoming events. And it's Savor Week. Woohoo! Savor so Week. Everything we're going to talk about is Savor Week focused today. Uh, but we're not going to be able to talk about everything that is Savor Week focused. There just is the a lot best going and on. brightest. Just, just well, I'm not even doing that. I'm including everything. I spent a lot of time on this. I'm including everything I can up to a point. And then after that, you're just going to have to go to dcbeer.com. Look at the calendar. Check out the calendar. Uh, to, to get all the upcoming informed. stuff. So let's start with tonight. Today is Wednesday, May 15th. Happy anniversary, Karen. Uh, tonight at the Gaslight Tavern on 9th Street, Oma Gang is previewing their savor beers with tastings, giveaways, and question and answer time with representatives from the Cooperstown, New York Brewery. That starts at 6 o'clock and goes till 9 Roofers Union in Calorama is teaming up with Lord Hobo and Two Roads for a Saver Tap Takeover, uh, featuring both of those New England breweries, also starting at 6 o'clock tonight, Wednesday. And then tomorrow, things really take off. That's when things get crazy. Let's start with Church Key, who's celebrating Saver with Four Noses Brewing Company, LIC Beer Project, makers of this lovely Pilsner we're enjoying Mm -hmm. right now, Night Shift Brewing, Port Brewing Company, and Society Brewing Company. Lots of beers from all those breweries starting at 4 o'clock when Church Key opens tomorrow, Thursday, May 14th. These beers are almost never in town, so check them out at Church Key. Yeah. Uh, And then over at the Sovereign in Georgetown, they have 35 drafts, 35 from Allagash, uh, the Lost Abbey, Perennial Artisan Ales, the Rare Barrel, Upland Brewing Company, and Wooden Robot. All of that starts at 5 o'clock, so you can go try 
all of those breweries at the Sovereign. Uh, if you like yeast forward or, you know, yeast drive beers, highly phenolic, uh, uh, some sour, some tart beers, farm to table, farm to face, fruit mm-hmm. forward beers, check out the Sovereign. Yeah, yeah, they've got the stuff. Uh, also tomorrow, Thursday, May 16th, the Jack Rose Saloon on 18th Street is celebrating by bringing in five legendary breweries. Cigar City Brewing, Country Boy Brewing, Maui Brewing Company, Three Weavers Brewing Company, and the Lost Abbey. Each of those is going to showcase four unique beers. Each of those beers is going to be paired with a corresponding whiskey and a cigar. Whoa. I don't know anybody who can actually do four cigars, but uh, (laughs) the drafts will be $2 off until 7.30. The whiskey pairings will come in half-ounce pours. Cigars are priced a la carte. But Maui Brewing co-founder Garrett Marrero and Three Weavers founder Lynn Weaver, along with the brewers and others from some of these breweries, are all going to be there. That's at the Jack Rose Saloon, Thursday, May 16th. That starts at 5 p.m. It keeps going, man. Amazing. Thursday at Lost Dog Cafe in Alexandria, you can get uh, Second Shift Brewing from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, with the founders, Libby and Steve Kreider, in the house to share eight of their brews. That's 5 o'clock at Lost Dog in Alexandria. Hazel on V Street. Now, I got to admit, I didn't know anything about Hazel. I've never heard of Hazel, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm older. I don't get to go out as much as I used to because I got to get my beauty sleep. But Hazel on V Street over by the 930 Club has something really, really special. Famed German monk Pater Johannes of the Benedictiner Brewery will be there for a meet and greet. Pater Johannes is a Benedictine monk and the guardian of 400 years of Benedictine brewing tradition. This is his first trip to the U.S. ever. So since 1609, like 400 years, master mm-hmm. brewers at the Monastery of Atal in Bavaria have used their secret Atal cellar yeast to brew their proprietary very secret original recipe under the strict supervision of the monks who live there. So Johannes inspects every beer, every beer for quality, every beer they brew for quality and clarity. Uh, please forgive me, Father Johannes. I think I have the secret of the yeast. It works. I believe he's brother. <laughs> oh, brother. He's a monk, yes. But it is pretty amazing. Go check out Hazel. They are doing amazing things with beer, and this is truly a once-in-a-lifetime yeah, opportunity. It really Save is. traveling all the way to the monastery. Right. And he's and and so they're going to have the Benedictiner Hell and the Benedictiner Weissbier, both of which are world class lager, world class Weissbier. Uh, unbelievable and and so this is a chance to not only try these but also to meet uh you know a, a master master brewer brewing 400-year-old recipes. Yeah. Okay. That's Thursday. Woo. Let's Ooh. move on to Friday. Ooh. Man. All right. Friday. Uh, Saver is happening Woo-hoo. Friday. Woo, it's sold out. So if you don't have a ticket, you should go to all these things we've talked about so far. And these things happening Friday. Church Key is featuring the boozy beers of Fremont Brewing from Seattle and Perennial Artisan Ales of St. Louis. They will have 10 strong beers, 10% ABV or higher. Wow. We at DC Beer urge you not to drive to this event. Let someone else please hoof it by foot. Please take a cab. Yeah, please do don't not, even bike. Do not. Yeah, you know the go. You're gonna get. You're gonna get Walk. drunk. Yeah. If you're gonna enjoy this, you're, you're gonna get. Yeah. You're gonna get tipsy. Fremont is a fantastic brewery that typically never makes it outside of their home state, but we are lucky to have them in DC. And for a few years past, we have. You know, the drafts are going to be pristine at Church Key. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely something you want to check out. Um, Free State. On G Street, also having a pre-saver party uh, with the Cape May Brewing Company and our own DC Brow. 
Seven beers from each. That starts at 4 p.m. Jack Rose is also having a pre-saver happy hour featuring Allagash, Atlas, Boulevard Brewing Company, Dogfish Head, New Belgian, Omegon, Port City, Right Proper, and Two Roads Brewing Company. It all starts at 5 and goes, frankly, it goes long after. It goes just until they close. Like, it's happy hour, but it's happy hour all night. Saver after party. Yeah. Uh, And I got to tell you, man, that's all we have time for. (laughs) There is so many other things happening. There's a lot of stuff happening on Saturday. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening on Sunday. You can find it all on the calendar at dcbeer.com. Remember that every Tuesday is Brews Day at Kramer's Bar and Cafe in DuPont Circle, sponsored by DC Beer. You can get half-price pints of nearly 20 beers, including limited and specialty run brews, mm. food specials as well. It's great beer at a great price Tuesday evenings, Kramer Books Bar and Cafe in DuPont. And remember, you can get all the details about these and dozens of other craft beer events at dcbeer.com. If you would like to have an event featured on the DC Beer Show or dcbeer.com, just send an email to info at dcbeer.com. Now let's move on to the next phase of this podcast. Adam and I, a few weeks ago, talked to Julie Verratti uh, and Jeff Ramirez at Denizen's Brewing Company. Uh, I hope you heard that episode. If you didn't, please go back and listen to it uh, a few weeks ago. But this is the second half of our conversation where we talked to them specifically about the new plant. I'm calling it a plant Mm because it's a brewing plant. It is a full-scale production brewery and a tap room uh, in Riverdale Park in Maryland Mm -hmm. uh, that opens in about a week. I believe their official opening day is May 25th. Oh, yeah. So 10 days from now. Yes. Uh, so have a listen and uh, enjoy. We're here today with Julie Verratti and Jeff Ramirez of Denizen's Brewing Company, and we are in their new location in Riverdale Park Station. Thank you guys both so much for joining the Brew Daddies on the DC Beer Show and, uh, and, and showing us around this place and telling us what's going on. No problem. Thanks for having us. So the first thing we want to start with today is talking specifically about this new location uh, and what you've got going on here. Just looking around, it's, it's a lot bigger than the Silver Spring location. Yes, <laughs> uh, it is. A lot newer than the Silver Spring location. And it's, and it's pretty obvious you guys are going to be doing a lot more. Uh, your, your capacity is going up significantly. So tell us a little bit about, about what this place is going to be putting out when, when you guys are, are open for business. Sure. I'm going to let Jeff talk about that since he's the uh, head brewer. Uh, we will be doing more of our year-round brands, which is our Lowest Lord ESB, our Born Bohemian Czech Style Pilsner, our Third Party Triple, Belgian Style Triple, and then our Southside Rye IPA. Uh, but in addition to that, you know, quarterly we'll do seasonals out of here at larger volumes for uh, you know, canned product and keg product. And then Silver Spring will actually do more of the specialty stuff uh, in smaller batches to keep it fresh, more locally centric regarding that. What's the capacity going to be here? You know, it's always TBD, but our calculations um, with our current cellar capacity, it'll add about 6,000 barrels annually to our current 1,500 uh, barrels annually at Silver Spring, so that'll give us, you know. So that's like, that's like quadruple what your current right. capacity now that's, is. Right, and that's, you know, obviously the market needs to absorb that, right. as well but, as our yeah. tap room. Yeah, so you won't necessarily be rooms, so. producing that, but you, right. you have the capacity to do right. up to that. And then we actually, the space that we have here, 
uh, we didn't order all the tanks that we, we could potentially fit in here. So, you know, assuming things are going well and the market's absorbing our product and there's still more demand for it, uh, we can add more tanks here um, and eventually get to a position where um, we could be annually uh, pumping out about 15,000 barrels a year. But that wouldn't be for like, yeah. this is, that's like the 10-year plan type thing. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit later about that sort yep. of long-term strategy that Denizens has for, for achieving that growth. But I want to dig in a little bit more to the difference between what you'll be doing here and what you'll be doing at Silver Spring. So this is going to be the brewery where you're, where it sounds like to me, where you're going to be doing most of your distribution brewing. Mm. Correct. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. And and even any of the, uh, you know, some of the specialty beers that we're going to be making in Silver Spring, you know, we'll be transferring between the two. So all distribution will be coming out of this location, even if it's been brewed in Silver Spring. Just to make, you know, you logistics. Logistically, that's just crazy to be sending out distribution, whether you're selling yeah. to a distributor or you're self-distroing. Having people having to leave from two different locations just does not make sense. So. Yeah, and the Silver Spring location, which obviously Adam and I are really familiar with because we live not far from there, and it's our favorite Friday workspace. <laughs> Great. By the way, is uh, we actually have a hashtag we use: working from Dennis. Nice, <laughs> um, but. But it's, yeah, it's not the most efficient place to move product in and out of that yeah. location. It's, yeah. it's really hard to actually, like, park yeah. <laughs> if you're just showing up to drink. So I, I know, can I'm, totally see moving distribution to here. Well, I'll yeah. be honest. When, when Julie and Emily approached me about uh, starting this business when I was still in Colorado, I was like, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to set up for a brew pub? Or are we trying to set up for a, a company that grows? If we're doing a company that grows, we're going to... Max is cooler out and do, you know, kegs only. If we're not, we're trying to stay in this space, we will do serving tanks and not have a giant cooler. Giant for that location, I should say. (laughs) I think one of the things I want to talk about is the tap room here. Sure. And, like, um, tell tell us what you're envisioning. So we've walked through it, and I'm going to come back and get some, like, I had planned to get some video today, but it's not quite there yet. Sure. Um, so I'm going to come back when you're a little closer and we can sure. start to show people what it looks like. But tell us what the tap room here is going to be like and what, it's, what, what your sort of vision for the space is. So it's uh, going to have about 130 seats inside, uh, which is about half the size of what we have in Silver Spring right now. Um, you know, this building is 12,000 square feet and about 9,000 of that square footage is actually dedicated to production space. Uh, so the tap room's a little smaller. Um, it's going to be the same menus, though. So we've, we have an executive chef that started with us about a month and a half ago, I think. Um, he is fantastic. Um, he used to actually be the chef uh, for Caboose Brewing in Vienna. Oh, awesome. Yeah, he's, he's a really talented chef, and he's, really, uh, he's looking at the menu right now, and we're going to be doing a, a full food menu change. Um, in the coming weeks. Sweet. And um, we're going to be having that same menu both in Silver Spring as well as the tap room here. Uh, we're also going to have a full liquor license here. Oh, um, wow. So we're going to have spirits. We're going to have wine. Obviously, we'll have our beer. Um, and we actually just started serving spirits in Silver Spring as well. Um, Wait, you did? We did. Well, we haven't really been, like, blasting it on social media or anything. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, we, we upgraded our, our liquor license a couple weeks ago. So we started serving spirits, I think, literally like a week ago from today. 
Um, we don't have a, a huge menu. It's not like we're making cocktails or anything. Right. It's just sort of like, okay, we got a bourbon, we got a vodka. <laughs> you know, there's just like four or five different spirits. We got light, we got dark. Exactly. <laughs> we'll mix it with ginger ale. Yeah, we'll whatever's on the Coke. soda gun, you can mix with that. <laughs> right. So mixed drinks, basically. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons we wanted to add spirits to that location is we wanted to make sure that we had a menu that was similar or basically the same at both locations. And in Prince George's County, because we're a class seven, we're required to have a restaurant, which is unlike Montgomery County, where you're not required to have a restaurant. And also just for the terms of the lease, um, the landlord was really adamant that we have a full liquor license here. Um, So that's why we we have the full beer, wine and spirits. We added that Silver Spring. But it's going to I mean, we're going to be still doing events. We're going to have. You know, we'll have some TVs. Uh, you know, University of Maryland is literally a mile up the road. Um, so we want to make sure that we're able to show sporting events um, and really work with the local university. Um, but it's going to be the same sort of similar feel. I mean, you guys come to our tap room a lot. I yeah. mean, I think we're pretty open and relaxed and people are just kind of, you can just be who you are in the space. And that's, you know, that's what we're hoping to have that same similar vibe here as well. I don't know. If, would you add anything more to that? Well, I mean, I think just the liquor aspect, you know, we are we are consumers as owner, as owners and stuff. Right. And not everybody wants to drink beer all the time or wine if they're wine drinkers all the time or liquor all the time. So it's just more of just trying to be a community space mm-hmm. while we make beer behind it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing a lot more people do that because not everybody. I mean, we're beer lovers. Right. So mm-hmm. I'll almost always order a beer if the selection is is good or there's something I haven't mm-hmm. tried that's on the that's but not everybody I happen to be with is a beer lover. So going to a place that's just beer right. limits my options if I'm with people who aren't as beer friendly as I am. Right. Um, so, yeah, being able to go to a place and say, oh, well, you know, great. You could have wine. If you like wine, we'll go there anyway. That's also part of the reason why I think we've invested into the kitchen more and more. Like food is also another thing that people want. Not everybody drinks alcohol. So they want to come and hang out with friends that drink alcohol. It's also food to be had. That's you know. It also makes it easier to drink more Correct. when there's True. food. I mean, and, and that's both from, <laughs> that's that's both from a business perspective and from right, a consumer right. perspective. Right. If I come to a place and I have a couple of beers and I'm like, okay, I need to eat something, and then I have to leave, the chances that I'm coming back are are much lower than if it's right. like, okay, I'm going to have a beer and then I'm going to have a pretzel with right. that beer and then have right. another. You know, right. like it just it just it's part of the experience, right? right? Mm-hmm. Although technically, food that you eat while you're drinking only helps because you're not drinking. The <laughs> food itself—it's food drinker. you eat before you drink that helps soak up. Yeah. Got it. Just to be a little technical there. So after uh, having so, gone so through you mean the course, that, right. that cheeseburger that I'm pounding at you know, one o'clock in the morning isn't going to help me. <laughs> well, it may help in some ways. So let me ask a question about this particular location, right? So you're in Riverdale Park, um, and and frankly, I know this area pretty well because I actually used to live really, really close to here, about halfway between here and the University of of Maryland, so pretty close. Did you find the location and then say, hey, let's expand, or did you decide you wanted to expand and then find the location, or did that happen We had been talking about expanding. Uh, Someone actually, I believe, reached out to Emily specifically, and Emily did the vet work for this location, um, it was actually I, Andrew Gefkin from Charm City Meadworks. He's friends with the guy who works at HR Realty, and was like, "Oh, you should you should reach out to Denizens. You guys are looking for some sort of brewery or something like that." 
Reach out to oh, Denizens. Oh, wait. So, so, the, so the, the people who did this development. So, so for those of you who don't know, just to, to fill you in, where the space we're in is sort of like a new development with a Whole Foods and a lot of retail. District Taco. District and Taco places, and other yeah. things that used to just be an empty lot uh, here. So it was developed as a, as a retail restaurant environment for all the people who live around here. So, so what I was getting to is is that the 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 developer and the and the real estate folks were looking to bring in a brewing establishment. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, but we had, like Jeff said, we had been talking about wanting to expand, and we had even actually looked at different places all around the area. You know, I we checked out a couple buildings in Kensington mm-hmm. actually. Which, by the way, any folks who are aspiring to open a brewery, Kensington now legally is allowed to give out two brewery licenses within the town um, area. So That's it, Adam. Here we go. We got <laughs> our brewery. Let's do it. Um, but they don't have any breweries y- just yet. They do have a lot of really cool like warehouse space over there, though. So we checked out a couple of buildings. It didn't seem to work for what we wanted to do. Um, and so, yeah, so when uh, HR Realty reached out, and that was the representative for Kfritz, which is the developer for this Riverdale Park station, Emily sort of vetted it and... Uh, we came over and looked at it, and it just seemed to make sense for us. Yeah. And was the intention always to find a place where you could move the production brewery to? Or did that happen just because of the space and how it was configured? No, I mean, I think we had been looking at production space or production space in retail, and I think all three of us were like retail, like meeting our just front of the having a tap room and kitchen and all that stuff was a big part of our identity and our business plan. So we wanted to make sure that where we went had that available as well. So yes, you're sit- we're standing in the production facility right now, but we have that front of the house, you know, on the street and we have the kitchen over here and it's just, that's going to be a part of our business no matter what. So I will say one of the coolest things about this building as well is because this was brand new construction, brand new development, we could literally design it for what we wanted. Um, and so we actually have an entire room that's dedicated to be a lab here. Um, nice. So we, and we do, you know, Jeff does lab work in Silver Spring, but it's sort of this like makeshift where you like pull everything out and put it on the bar and then you have to like put it back. Whereas here, he and his team are going to have an entire room dedicated to... Well, con- it's the whole thing. It's yeah. The packaging is going to be set in place in its own area. <laughs> brew house. Wheel, wheel yeah. the canning yeah. line no, back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that. The brew house, you know, is separate from the cellar completely with a, a path. And then it's, you know, we'll have overhead pipe just to the cellar so that they can work in the cellar. Yeah, I, well, uh, I've worked in environments where, like, the canning line had to be assembled <laughs> right. canning line and then disassembled and moved out of the way. So The way this is set up is that we can package, we can brew, we can cellar, we can filter if we're still filtering, all these things, you know, <laughs> like, at the same time. Yeah, and the cold room, which I'm looking at from where I'm standing right now, is the biggest I've ever seen. It's, it's beautiful. Large. Yeah. But but with all your distribution coming out of here, that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Because you'll be whatever you're brewing. If it's going out for in, in Silver Spring, it's gonna get you know you're gonna van it over here, right? <laughs> and right. It's gonna go into that coal room. It's which, for it's for that as well as the uh, you know distributors will pick it up from here. So it's having enough space for our cans to be stored cold after packaging on the truck to then, in theory, the distributors cold storage right. <laughs> yeah, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <There> and, <laughs> uh, 
you know, just having the working space, you know, we can drive in, drive out kind of thing, a little less manual. So Yeah, well, efficiency definitely keeps costs down, so. This is true. I, yes. I, I've been to a lot of breweries in the area, um, you know, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and I will say that it seems like the brew house that Jeff and his team works on right now in Silver Spring is the most manual brew house I've ever seen. I mean, the, there, there is like nothing technological about that thing. No, it's, yeah, I've, I've, we've been through it. It's all work. It's all right. people putting in the work. Right. And luckily being able to, you know, get a brand new brew house here, um, some still of work. that still work, obviously, <laughs> but you've got a little bit more of that techno- technology that exists now. Um, right. That can help with efficiency. Yeah, I was admiring the, the boiler. Oh, Columbia? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Looked nice. I was pretty much admiring all the equipment. I haven't used it yet, so as long as it doesn't fail. So when do you so so (laughs) when do you guys think you'll be you'll be up and running on the on the brew side? We've talked a little bit and 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 by the time this comes out folks will know when you're opening, but when do you think you'll actually be like like producing? Uh well I mean we're standing in it, right? Yeah. Brew house is set. I gotta make final connections. Boiler company. This is coming in next week to make the steam boiler connections to the insulated tanks. Glycol's working, um, which is refrigeration. <laughs> and yeah, as long as we get our inspections done and everybody's all cool with everything where it's set up, you know, electrical setup. We just gotta make the final connections to all the tanks and the uh, the motors and all that stuff. What's what's today? So 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 are you thinking are you thinking end of April? End of April or I hope so. End of April yeah. you'll be brewing and okay. Yeah, we gotta yeah. prep stuff too, you know, it's it's new stainless, so we gotta make sure it's all yeah. good and mm-hmm. clean, repassivated, strip some of that. I'll stop talking about it. No, that. no, no. <laughs> I, I asked the question. I mean it's it's yeah. it's uh, and I think the I think the folks who listen to the podcast are really interested in that because it's not like you think about a brewery you know, opening up a brewery and, and, and a lot of folks. And when we, Adam and I originally started doing this podcast, our intent was really to inform people about what it's like to start a brewery, mm-hmm. um, much more than just sort of like, tell us about your beer, you know, but, but like really, what's it like to start a brewery and knowing like, well, okay, you got all this great equipment, but it's not like you can just, you know, dump some, grain <laughs> right. put some water in and beer comes out equipment, especially on this scale. It takes some time to get it really ready and prepared and probably, I mean, and, and answer this, but most, a lot of the other brewers we've talked to, it takes some time to get used to brewing on it. Sure. I mean, there is a whole control system with pneumatic valves, which are just making sure that the right valves are open and closed at the same time. Um, but you don't walk process. into that with second nature. That's right? not what I'm worried about. It's more the, uh, it's new stainless that... Mm-hmm. You know, you can treat, you can passivate, but there's still flavors that can leach off into the liquid, right. whether it's um, a process, you know, an hourly day or it's, uh, you know, a two week time period. Kegs are the biggest part, you know, where it's they're sitting in kegs and there's that much surface area per volume. And no matter what, if it's the greatest stainless or not, there's still a possibility of that first fill of having some flavor leach off into it. And we're trying. We're doing processes thanks to Sierra Nevada mm-hmm. and doing their testing. Wait, wait. What do you mean by that? Tell us a little bit about that. Thanks to Sierra Nevada. Jeff, Jeff reached out to Ken Grossman and said, "Hey, yeah. we got these brand new kegs. What do you do to treat?" Well, it? I found the abstract yeah. from it where it's they do <laughs> yeah. 
basically hop water and citric acid to a certain pH and a certain theoretical um, IBU to then create a leaching process where it's leaching off metal. See, that's interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. It is. I, but here's the thing, though. I have not. We have a couple of kegs that are have been sitting for two weeks filled with beer. That's pale beer, non-hopped, all this stuff. And seeing, I need to test that, you know, next week when I like just taste it and make sure that the spear is always the problematic part because it's the most service area. Right. But if that beer is okay, if hmm. not, do we need to do more processes to it? Because there's wort, there's fermentation, <laughs> there's packaging. Yeah. And there's all these things where things can get messed up. So we want to make sure that it's as good as we can make it and it's up to our standards. So. Awesome. So you talked about the Silver Spring being more of your specialty brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to get more experimental in your beers there? What are you saying? <laughs> no, I, I, I think you what are, are you pretty saying, experimental already. But I meant, are you going to use that as like more of an experimental brewery now? To try out beers, to try out sure. styles, try sure, out styles, sure. I mean, like that. I mean, that'd be dumb of us to be like, you know what? We're gonna go sixty barrels deep real quick <laughs> instead of running fifteen <laughs> barrels of a, of a brand. Um, yes, we will. Um, what it's gonna be? I have no idea. We've done a lot of brands. Yeah, we maybe maybe just be tweaking the brands we have to what the market's wanting, all that kind of stuff. Is there anything you want to brew that you you haven't felt you could because of market pressure or because of capacity or is there anything you really want to do? Like as a brewer, like something you're just like, ah, I want to make a marshmallow I, talk, cream. But no, that's, that's like not at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I talk to friends that, you know, um, I brew with in Philly or Colorado or anything like that, I usually talk about yeast because yeast is very interesting. Belgian beer, as even though Belgian style beer, even though it's not brands I drink regularly, it always makes me more intrigued because it is fermentation. You know, it's pitch rate, oxygen, you know, aeration rate, uh, temperature, start finish, all these kind of things, and um, it's always the most interesting when you have time to actually work on it. The other one is lager, which is I think more of what I like to drink, and using lager strings that may take a little longer. And people always talk about clean versus not clean. It's not necessarily clean or not. It's just there's these different underlying aspects to it that, you know, someone can tell me that these are the compounds that it is, but I only know through working with it. Right. Um, those are two things that interested me. So. Speaking of the yeast, have you ever taken a beer, brewed the same beer with just a different yeast in it to see what different flavors you get out of it? Mm, I mean, not recently. customers, I know you got customers. No, I mean, there's a functionality. Like that know? could be part of the experimentation. Right. Know, that's kind of what I'm yeah, thinking. Especially when you've got a lab, when yeah. you're, you're going to be able to work in a lab and just be able to, that, 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 there's a lot of interesting stuff, especially if you're a yeast fan, right. you know. No, for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of factors that can be had and we don't want to just throw that in there. We're just going to, mm-hmm. what do we need, you know, for our tap rooms and for our wholesale. And then if we have the ab- availability, you know, in tank space and all that to experiment more. I mean, if there's an issue with stuff, of course we're going to change it. But if there's not, and we're all happy with the product, why change it? <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, it, this is something, so I run the uh, wholesale for the, for the business and right. 
it's definitely something where Jeff and I are constantly having conversations where I'm like, hey, man, do you think you might want to like consider making this, you know, X style of beer? It seems like this is really what the market wants. And it's just like a constant back and forth discussion about um, because, you know, when you have a tap room and you sell a lot of your beer in your tap room, you can basically make whatever the hell you want as a brewer (laughs) Uh because people are coming to the brewery because they want to try all the things that you're making. Yeah. That does not necessarily translate to distribution. Right, right. You know, right. if you're yeah. making some like weird ass, totally esoteric style beer, you can you can sell that more easily in your tap room as opposed to, you know, and, and, yeah. a local restaurant. Yeah, or even yeah, yeah, or a, the local beer the beer store, yeah. right? Like if mm-hmm. somebody walks in and they're what did I say earlier? Marshmallow something. Like, right. like if somebody sees that, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to get well, this actually, lager instead. <laughs> True. No, you're not wrong about that, but it is actually easier to sell those sort of weird beers in package stores um, than it is to sell it for an on-premise account uh, yeah, at a restaurant. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, that Lucky Charms beer sold really well. It did. <laughs> for some Hasn't reason. Have tried that, the Lucky Charms beer? No. No. <laughs> nope. No. Haven't tried it. No. It's definitely yeah. not the style that I would be interested in drinking. Generally, yeah, me, me either. So. But there are people who like it. I mean, listen, you know, you were talking earlier. You want this show to be about, like, what is it like to actually start and run a brewery? I mean, it's a business. And if there is a consumer market out there that is wanting that style of beer, you know, I don't, I don't fault them for making it. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to buy that beer, but there are people who will. And you got to pay your bills, and you got to pay your employees, and you got to do all those things. So, more power to them. Well, listen, uh, Julie, Jeff, thank you guys very, very much for talking to us about this new space you have here at Riverdale Park Station. Uh, we'll be letting the. Uh, it, it's going to definitely be opening soon, and you'll hear more. And the next conversation we're going to have with Julie and Jeff is going to talk more about the sort of long term plans for denizens long-term vision for craft brewing in the mid-atlantic region in the washington dc area so stay tuned uh next week for that episode thanks for listening to the dc beer show remember you can always go to dcbeer.com and find out anything happening all the events the most comprehensive uh craft beer events calendar in the dc metropolitan area find us on facebook instagram and twitter at DC Beer. And if you like what you hear on the DC Beer Show, give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Richard. And we'll see you guys next week. Adios, Beerland.